Hello everyone. Welcome. Grace to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. Glad you're able to be a part of this Bible study today. If you have a Bible with you, you're going to want to find your way to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be there both today and also next time when we gather for this study. Colossians chapter 2. Paul said in Colossians 2 verse 9, that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul has at least two primary concerns. First of all, his concern is that the Christians in the city of Colossae continue to mature in their faith. Look at verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. His desire is they continue to mature. His other desire is that they be on their guard against those who would seek to derail them from that pursuit of maturity. He gives a warning in verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. These philosophies that he speaks of will look good, but they will be subtle distortions of biblical truth. They will frequently be sprinkled with quotes from the Bible, but they're going to be taken out of context. He says, beware of these who come in with these kind of empty philosophies. You see, Paul is facing a particular heresy in Colossae. Now, it's impossible for us to know exactly what was being taught by these false teachers, but we can kind of get some clues just from the context in, in chapter 2. If you just read through chapter 2, and you might want to just pause at this point and read it through. I don't want to take the time to, to show you all the verses, but just in chapter 2 alone, you can tell that the things Paul addressed were issues of ceremonies. These, these false teachers placed a great deal of emphasis on ceremonies. I mean, they had laws about what you could eat, what you shouldn't eat, what you could drink, what you shouldn't drink, how you should worship, what kind of festivals should be observed. I mean, their focus was more on the, the, the how of worship than it was on the who of worship. They were preoccupied with angelic beings. I mean, look down at verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. I mean, these heretical teachers that were infiltrating the church taught that they kind of had a secret knowledge. They, they claimed they had a special insight into the spiritual world. I mean, if you wanted to have the best Christian experiences, you needed to have the information that these teachers alone could give you. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like a number of people who come on our television sets today. 
and preach some weird distortion of the gospel. These people in Paul's day, they urged a mystical experience. Uh, these people added to Christ and the message of the gospel. They had a heavy reliance on human wisdom and tradition. They looked for special messages and revelation. They emphasized the mystical over the concrete. They trusted reason over revelation. They, the Word of God was not enough. They believed you had to add to that by having some particular experience. In my Bible, uh, the, its introduction to this letter to the Colossians, the author describes the impending heresy that was happening in the city of Colossae this way. It was apparently a religious system that combined elements from Greek speculation, Jewish legalism, and Oriental mysticism. It involved a low view of the body and probably nature as a whole. Circumcision, dietary regulations, ritual observances were included in this system which utilized asceticism, worship of angels as intermediaries, and mystical experiences as an approach to the spiritual realm. Any attempt to fit Christ into such a system would undermine his person and redemptive work." End quote. Well, such was the heresy that was endangering the faith and the growth of the Christians at Colossae. And the problems that Paul addressed in Colossae are problems, frankly, folks, that we're facing in the church today and have really always faced. So Paul not only seeks to expose that which is false, he also seeks to underscore that which was true. If we focus and rely on what is true, we will be able to stand against the cancer of the false teaching that is infiltrating the church. For starters, what we started off with, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Folks, that is Paul's way of simply reiterating the truth that Jesus is fully God. Now, there are many who would have you believe that Jesus was had God in him. Uh, they say that Jesus reveals God. He, he points to God. He represents God. And all of those say, statements, yeah, they sound virtuous. But all of them really understate the case, don't they? You see, Jesus is God. And any teaching of, of Christ that diminishes Christ is a denial of Christ. The doctrine of the nature of Christ has, well, it's been a source of argument throughout the course of Christian history. That's always been an attack that the church has had to face. You see, some deny the deity, or we could say the, the God nature of Christ. They teach that he was only a man. They feel that to assert that God is the Father, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, is to claim that there are three gods, not one. Now folks, the Bible does not seek to explain this, this mind-boggling concept of the Trinity, that three persons are in essence one. It, it is, the Bible asserts that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But it tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 20, verse 31. 
But Jesus himself said in John chapter 10 that I and the Father are one. Now others go to the opposite extreme and they deny the human nature of Christ. You see, they teach that God borrowed Christ's body at his baptism and then he vacated it right before the cross. They believe that the physical realm is evil and God cannot be a part of the human existence. However, John wrote this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. Folks, there's a similar heresy in our day called Arianism. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes the error of the, the Arians this way. He says this, and I quote, The error of the Arians was that they denied the reality of the divine nature. They said that Christ was the first and highest of all created beings. He was not God, but he was not man. He was something in between. The first created being, the highest of all the beings that God has ever created." End quote. That's a good description of what these heretical teachers are about. Every one of these heresies exists even in our world today, just as they did in the first century. The deity and the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ has always been under attack. Biblical theology unwaveringly teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Folks, He is unique. Jesus is unique among men. When we come to Christ, when we receive Christ, we are empowered by Christ. We are filled by the Holy Spirit, but we do not become God, right? You see, Jesus is not the best that man can be. He's God. He makes us sons of God when we come to Him by faith, but Jesus is the Son, capital S, of God. We are not and never will be the same as Jesus. We will forever be the created. He will forever be the Creator. When you hear someone claim that we become little gods, people like Kenneth Copeland and some of the other faith movement teachers, when you hear them say that we become little gods or you hear somebody say that God will live in us the same way that He did Christ, or you hear somebody say that every believer is just as much of an incarnation as Jesus was, I want to give you a word to apply to such teaching blasphemy. Jesus is unique among all of mankind. None like him. 
But Jesus is unique also among other religious teachers. There have been religious teachers throughout human history. And all of them have good things to say here and there. C.S. Lewis wrote this about some of the human teachers that have existed over the centuries. He says this, If you had gone to Buddha and asked him, Are you the son of Brahma? He would have said, My son, you are still in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, Are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you had gone to Mohammed and asked, Are you Allah? He would have first rent his clothes and then cut off your head. If you had asked Confucius, Are you heaven? I think he would have probably replied, Remarks which are not in accordance with nature are in bad taste. The idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said is out of the question. In my opinion, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic suffering from that form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. We may not in passing say that he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval." End quote. What C.S. Lewis in essence is saying is when Jesus made those claims, people either hated him for it, they were terrified of him when they, they were around him, or they adored him. There was none of this neutral ground with Jesus. Because a great moral teacher doesn't say the things that Jesus said, doesn't make the claims that Jesus said, and not be a lunatic, or not be actually God. But Jesus is not simply unique among humanity in general, and especially among religious teachers. But you understand this, we need to take it up a notch. Jesus is supreme. What is the one primary truth that sets us apart as believers from everyone else? Well, it's not our view of worship. It's not our view of spiritual gifts. It's not our view of what kind of music should be sung in a worship setting. What sets us apart is our view of Christ. Jesus is the head. How we view Him is the most important issue, folks. One man writes this, The key issue to victorious Christian living is not whether or not we roll on the floor and bark like dogs or have certain experiences. It is not what church we belong to. It is not how much we have in the material world. The key to victorious living is to follow and adore the true and living Christ. When we are following Christ, we will bow in worship. We will not be filled with arrogance and pride, but humility and gratitude. Isn't that true? 
false teachers will talk about Christ and applaud Christ. But the key question is, who is this Christ they talk about? Is he a watered-down version of the real thing? Is he a denial of the true Christ? Folks, if you're clear on Jesus, who he was, what he came to do, you're clear on everything else. Now listen, I realize that this is sort of heady stuff. It's a little bit deep. It's definitely doctrinal in nature. But folks, this truth about Jesus, his person, his work, is among the non-negotiable biblical doctrines. It may not be entertaining, but it is absolutely and vitally important that we have a proper understanding of the deity, the person of Jesus Christ, and that we understand the work he came to accomplish. Now, I don't only want you to see the doctrinal nature of the text we're in, but folks, there are also some very practical things that come out of this doctrine. So you understand the person and work of Christ, who he is. He is the head of all things. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But there are some practical things to this as well because Paul says in the next verse, and you are complete in him. And what I want us to do is to continue this at our next visit and let's look at the practical side of this deep doctrinal truth. Join me again when we revisit this for part two. May the Lord bless you. Have a good and godly week.